Was it good to worship in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Thanks, Angela. I tell you what, I wish all of us were out of breath when we got done worshiping on a Sunday morning. You know, that's our, our destiny. Our destiny is to be able to proclaim the Lord. There's a, there's a pretty big game that's going to be happening today, I think, right? And there's going to be a lot of people yelling and cheering in a, in a beautiful SoFi Stadium. I had a chance to go there and watch a game this year. And, uh, you know, we'll all gather around and invite our friends and do the Super Bowl deal. And, but, you know, whenever I see large assemblies like that, cheering on a very valid and enjoyable thing, you know where my mind goes? My mind goes to that last great and final day when we're gathered around the throne and people from every language, tribe, and nation. And they're just declaring the praise and the glory of the Lord. He'll wipe every tear from our eye. He'll say, welcome in, good and faithful servants. We'll be worshiping, and then he'll start to give some assignments, and you'll find your place to the place he's been preparing for you and I, if we're followers of him through all these uh, generations. And then he's got plans for us into eternity. And uh, that's going to be a beautiful day. And the reason that we're going to be able to enjoy that great day of celebration and worship is because of the subject that we're talking about today. And that is the subject of reconciliation. Because you and I would not be able to enjoy that day or to even focus on hope for reconciliation with one another if it was not for the reconciliation that Jesus Christ brought into our life. And um, we're going to jump into his word and bring to conclusion this series that we've been in. But will you bow your heads with me as we just pray for the Lord to allow us to draw near to him. My Jesus, our Jesus, we are so grateful for the work that you did on the cross to be able to bring about our reconciliation with the Father. And Lord, here this morning, as we focus on the subject of reconciliation, may your spirit challenge us in appropriate ways, not in false guilt-ridden kinds of ways, but sincere conviction of the spirit as we've walked through this series. Lord, may your spirit um, rest with us in a tender and gentle manner as we seek to be able to honor you and glorify you here on earth not just through song, but in our action and our deeds. And so, Lord, may your spirit have its way as we look to your word this morning. Jesus, may you keep our hearts buoyed up and encouraged. Lord, I know not on a Sunday morning such as this, uh, where each of us might have had our journey travel during the course of a week, but you have brought us here. You've brought us together as a community family, even those who are first-time guests today, Lord. We just come to you as a family. And we submit ourselves to you to hear from your good and faithful word. In your name we pray. Amen. I don't know, did your parents when you were growing up uh, try to instruct you in the way of getting along with your siblings? Did you have a good relationship with your siblings growing up? You know, was it one of those lovey-dovey kinds of environments? Some of you as parents are going, that's not the attitude that's happening in my house right now. And I am trying to instruct them how to be of encouragement one to another. Well, I tell you what, the importance of being able to see healthy relationships and healthy conflict resolution, healthy reconciliation happening in the home is critical. 
it's critical to all of us. It's critical uh, not only to your kids, but it's critical to you. So here's the question, and it was there on that video clip a little bit. How did you observe your parents dealing with conflict? Did they say they were sorry? Were they uh, apologetic easily? Did it come back together when you saw a little tension in your family's life? Uh, What about right now? What are your kids watching? Because here's the truth of the matter. How your kids observe you in your relationship, whether it's with a spouse or maybe a friend or coworker, or the buzz that's happening in the home, they will carry with them into their relationship and they will carry it into their relationship sometimes with you. Now, you may never think, well, my kids and I, we get along pretty good. Yeah, we have our little kind of moments. But there will come a day, a good chance, that there's going to be tension and division between you and one of your kids. And if you do not show them, as they are growing up, how to have good conflict resolution, to live at peace with one another, to be able to have a resolution to some type of troubling matter, then they will carry that into the relationship with you in their future. They don't know, unless they know, how to heal a broken relationship. Because the truth of the matter is this, and every time I I think of this phrase or see this phrase, I think of my dad because he would always reference this phrase in life, and it's more is caught than taught. You can put a bunch of loaded lumber in the head of information and how-to steps, but they will catch what you do more than what they will learn from just cognitive information. More is caught than taught. You know, maybe you got a, long, a young little one and you try to do this. It's, it's, it's probably one of the first steps to be able to help them uh, know how to uh, reassemble a broken relationship. Something happens with one sibling to another, you know, you, you, whether it's legit or not, something happens and somebody gets hurt and you try to referee the situation and you tell one of the young ones, now, you know, what did you have something to say to your brother or your sister? What do you say? Sorry. Sorry. Well, here's the first lesson is not to say sorry. You need to personalize it with a personal pronoun. And you say, no, you're not sorry. Say, I am sorry. I'm sorry. Why? Because I'm sorry is taking some type of personal ownership. Now, sorry can be a mushy kind of thing. I understand that. And sometimes I think it's really important with us, especially as we get older, it's like, hey, I'm sorry, that kind of stuff, to name it, to identify, I'm sorry I did this or what. But you're walking them through that process. And then, you know, sometimes they catch it and sometimes they don't. Maybe they get in middle school and, you know, you tell the one, say, well, tell you, say, you know, to your brother, brother, um, I'm sorry, right? And, and, they, and they say, well, no, I'm not going to say that. Brother, you're sorry, you know. No, no, let's, let's come back and let's walk through this again. More is caught than taught. And so as we've journeyed uh, in this series, um, assembly, reassembly required, I just want to reemphasize again that this is a beginner's guide. All right, it's just been 101. 
Uh, you came back for another dose today. I'm really surprised that you did. But uh, we have been trying to figure out in this journey how God can help us reassemble broken relationships and that these broken relationships are not relationships um, that, you know, we should just try to disregard or think that it'll all get better over time. They're relationships that we need to give personal attention to as God leads us. And we've said in this series something that's very important for us to learn, and that's this, that the goal is not reconciliation. The goal is no regrets. Reconciliation, the, if you make that your goal, then you're putting an agenda on the other person. And none of us like to have an agenda put on us. You know, some of the relationships you're in right now in life, the only reason you're in relationship with them is because of what they can do for you or how they can help you or where they can get you to, right? And none of us like to be on the receiving end of that, of a true friendship. So the moment that you put the goal of reconciliation on there, it's like, you've got to get your act together, right? I'm going to deal with my part. It's not going to go well, all right? You feel rejection on the other side. You cannot make the goal reconciliation because you don't have all the pieces to the brokenness, all right? You can have it as your hope and as your dream, but for us, whether you're a Jesus follower or not this morning, I think this is good truth. The goal needs to be no regrets, no regrets, a clear conscience, to be able to, to walk forward in that mutual understanding of what God can do for us. Reconciliation is a posture, and it's a process. And so your goal uh, is no regrets. Your dream and aspiration is maybe the reconciliation aspect. But if that reconciliation, and this whole subject of the art of reconciliation, it's, it's how you take your personal well-being, your inner your inner spirit, your inner attitude, and position yourself to have a posture in the appropriate direction and be able to walk out a process and see if God can work in that broken relationship. And I'm pretty sure, and I've talked to some of you over the course of uh, these weeks, that you have somebody that you can identify in your mind. In fact, this whole series has brought something back that maybe you set aside, or you tried to sweep it you know, under the rug, like I mentioned. And we need to just come back and endear ourselves to the Spirit and saying, Lord, what are you calling us to do in that particular situation? And we've looked at some verses and passages. I want us to reflect back on the one that, that we sort of dug through a little bit last week. And that is this Romans 12, 18 verse where the Apostle Paul says, if it is possible, if it is possible. Now, you know, it, it may not be possible for different kinds of, but if it is possible, you need to work at, all right, as far as it depends on you, you need to live and be at peace with one another. Now, the English uh, version is to live at peace, but I like the concept of be at peace because be is sort of a posture, right? And an, an understanding of a process in part. So if it is possible in this broken relationship, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with one another. And so we are asking you to have a disposition that's one headed towards the direction of the hope, the dream of reconciliation. But your goal is going to be to have a life of no 
regrets. A life of no regrets. I, uh, this morning, um, I'm mindful that I, I, there's so much uh, that I almost, I don't know, maybe I'll do it next week, just an open mic to see how God's working in this. But uh, as I've interfaced and interacted with some of you, there, uh, this stuff's pretty front and center. And when I stepped down from uh, teaching last week, uh, a new friend, she's part of our Ruta group this last semester, semester came up to me and she says, I have a story to tell as it relates to that life of no regrets and owning a piece of the pie like we talked about last night or last week, the humble pie. And I'd like to invite Lynn Beagle if she would come up. And um, I have asked Lynn if she would just unpack a little bit of her story on this subject of reassembling a broken relationship. So Lynn, uh, welcome Lynn. Give her, you know... Thank you, Carrie. Thank you for letting me come up here and share with everybody. And it really is an honor to share a testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And um, the worship just totally set it off, you know, the broken pieces, and that was me. And uh, there's still some brokenness in there, but, you know, it's a process, like Carrie said. So um, I grew up in a large family, 10 kids, and... um, In our home, there was drinking that went on every day with my parents, and as a result, there was a lot of abuse that went on of every kind. And um, when I was 15, my mom died from alcoholism, and my dad got remarried when I was 17. And I lived at home for a year, and then I moved out right after high school when I was 18. Um, When I was 19... Um, I found out from another sibling that there was abuse going on in the home still um, toward my younger brother. And I made a decision to contact social services um, and report my father. That's a big deal. And um, it was supposed to be anonymous, and it wasn't. He found out that I reported him. And um, it was about two years later, I called him for his birthday and he disowned me over the phone. And I was devastated. And I cried all day and was just a wreck. And, um, you know, I didn't know the Lord at that time. And I had a lot of brokenness in my life, like I said. And um, I had no idea how that would affect me later in my Christian life, uh, being disowned by my earthly father. So, um, you know, moving on, I had lots of resentments, and at about the age of 28, I got into a recovery program, and that was able to help me work through my issues and a lot of my brokenness, and um, I was able to have some humble pie, like Carrie said, and finally get to a place of looking at my part in the relationship and what I had done. And the speaking ill of, talking about them to other people, you know, all that stuff. And um, I wrote a letter of amends, a direct amends to my father and stepmother. And um, they did write me back, and they decided not to receive my amends. And they said, you know, we can't forgive you until you tell us why you did what you did. And I was angry. (laughs) 
I was very upset again and hurt. And, you know, God was just working with me and dealing with all this junk that was in me. And uh, my first reaction was, you want to know why I did what I did? I'll tell you why I did what I did. <laughs> Let's go back and talk about what you did, you know. And, um, but you know what? I didn't do that. And with the help of a friend, I went ahead and wrote another letter. And I just simply stated, I will look at my past, but I will not stare. And I hope that you can forgive me someday. And, you know, I learned shortly after becoming a Christian from a man who discipled me that, you know, um, forgiveness is to be given and trust is to be earned. And when I grew up, it was the opposite. I was constantly trying to earn forgiveness. And I trusted anyone. And um, God had to f work that out. You know, he had to change that in my life. And, and he has. And so... Um, Let's see there. Uh, so the years did go by, and um, this, this testimony makes me think of a song by Phil Collins called No Son of Mine. And I totally relate to that song, if any of you know it. But there's a, a little thing in there that says, you know, the years they pass so slowly, I thought about him every day. And I did. It was on the back burner all the time. What is he doing? Am I going to run into him in the street? You know, what would I say? You know, um, it was always there. Um, by this time, I was a Christian, and um, I, I trusted the Lord for my salvation. I know the Lord loved me, but the, um, the deep root of rejection and abandonment was still there in my life, and, and it really did hinder my walk with my Heavenly Father. And, um, you know, God was still working with me on that. And um, I would tell you that I trusted God, but deep down... It wasn't full, implicit trust. Me staying up here now is trusting the Lord. <laughs> All righty. So um, let's see. You know, my kids grew up. They've never met their grandparents. Um, as the years went by, like I said, I thought about it, had different situations involving um, bringing, bringing up my dad and stepmom. Um, you know, he had some communication with my other siblings. Um, through the years, it, he did not speak well of me to my siblings, and I was kind of like the one of the bad kids. There were a few of us. But um, anyway, um, let's see. Um, it wasn't until I was about 40 that the Lord showed me the last piece of my part in this broken relationship. And that piece was that I never received my father and his wife as one. And I'll tell you, the Spirit convicted me so deep, so deeply, <laughs> that I just was broken and just said, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do to make this right. I will go. They live in New York. I'll go to New York. I'll seek forgiveness. I'll do whatever you want. And, you know, from that point forward, I was very open to going. And I really thought, he's going to have me go. He's going to provide a ticket, and I'm going to go, and this whole thing's going to happen. And time went by, and nothing happened. And I'm like, Lord, I thought I, thought I was going to go, and <laughs> I'm all ready. And he, what he revealed to me was, that was for you. It's not for them, because you're my child, and I love you. And this is for you to be exactly where I want you to be. You're, you're willing, and you've confessed your sin, and you've owned it, and you're willing to make it right. That's what I want. 
it doesn't have to be about them necessarily, which ties into what Carrie's been saying, that it, it may not be reconciliation. It's no regrets. And at that point, I really had no regrets. I felt like I was free. And um, what ended up happening was um, two years later, my sister was getting remarried. Now, I had shared the gospel with her years prior and was discipling her. We were very close. She's the only sibling that had contact with my dad and stepmom and all the other siblings. And they didn't know that we had this very close relationship. And she was getting remarried, and my dad and stepmom were going to go to the wedding. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is it. And so a couple days before the wedding, he found out I was going to be there. And he didn't go. He said he wasn't going to go because I was there. And my sister, of course, told me this, and I was a wreck. I was really upset. Again, I was really hurt. And, and why I was hurt was because he went on to speak ill of me to my sister. And at that point, I was going to call him and let him kind of reason it out with him. <laughs> but God had other plans, thank God. <laughs> and I called my husband instead lesson for the wives. And I called my husband, and I was upset, and I was crying, and I was like, oh, I can't believe this. He's doing this, and he's saying that, and he's bearing false witness against me. And my husband said, well, that's what they did to Jesus. Mm. Boom. <laughs> oh, that just fixed it. And so I was like, you're right. You're absolutely right. And so it was like, you know, blessed are you when men speak all manner of evil against you. You know, I was like, okay, all right. Okay, I'm good. And so, um, anyway, later that year, since my dad then found out that we had this relationship, he told my sister he was going to disown her if she continued to have a relationship with me. And at that point, we both realized, you know, this isn't about dad and the kids and the stepmom and all that. This is, this is way beyond that. This is between him and God. He just needs to know the forgiveness of, of God in order to get through this and forgive his kids, you know. And um, so we reached out to our siblings, and five of the eight siblings wrote direct amends letters to my dad and mailed them to my sister because he wouldn't receive mail from any of us. She was the only one. And she went ahead and typed up the parable of the unforgiving servant, and this was right before Christmas. And she put it in a beautiful font on red paper and sent that to him with the amends letters. Exactly. Wow. We were like, okay, Lord, this is, this is all you. Do a work. And, you know, of course, we're praying together, you know. And so he still didn't receive my amends. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, though? At that point, just like Carrie said, my posture had completely changed, and I was free, and I had no regrets, and I knew that I was clean. I knew I did what I could do to reconcile, and if he didn't want to reconcile, you know, the scripture says in the parable of the unforgiving servant, the man who wouldn't forgive, he was handed over to the tormentors, and I thought that's what's going to happen. He's going to be tormented, you know. And sure enough, he had a car accident, and he hasn't been the same since. He's been bedridden and in pain every single day. How sad, you know. And I'm not saying that's why, but I'm just, you know, that just came to me right now as I'm sharing. How sad. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, 12 years later, my stepmother friend requested me on Facebook. Exactly. What? <laughs> 
I look at it like, what? And I guess she had friend requested my two brothers, but then unfriended them, but she didn't unfriend me. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like they've talked about me the worst, you know, like how could this be? And so I messaged her on Messenger. And what did I do? I sent her a Christian music video. <laughs> like, you need the Lord. <laughs> and so I sent her this video and said, how are you? And then I didn't hear back. And I'm thinking, oh, did she unfriend me? Or how does this work? And, and um, 11 months later, last year Christmas time, she messaged me. And she said, that's a beautiful song. And I listen to it all the time. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness gracious. And then she started chatting with me back and forth. And I thought, does dad know you're chatting with me? Like, is he going to disown you? (laughs) And then she video called me. And I could not believe it. I looked at my phone, and I'm like, I'm just staring at it. And I'm like, "Okay, Lord. And I swiped it, and I answered the phone. And, you know, it was peaceable. It was pleasant. You know, it was getting up to date. How are you? How are are the kids? You know, I sent her pictures of my kids and the family, and, and she put my dad on. And my dad got on, and he spoke to me. And I know, it's a miracle. It really is a miracle. And, um, you know, they kind of acted as if nothing had ever happened. I know they know what happened, because I've heard it through the other siblings. It's been a long 34-year story. But you know what? By the grace of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, I stand here today, and I can say that he has enabled me to forgive. He has given me grace to love them unconditionally, regardless of what they do regardless of what they did. And that's the realization is that I care more about their eternal state than I do about what they did to me. What can man do to me? You know, I can stand here today and say that. And, you know, my sister, I mean, here, like I said, I'm telling her, send them a Bible, you know, share the gospel with them. And, you know, and that's what we've been doing for years. And she does. She preaches to them. She lets them have it. And I'm like, you go, girl. And so, you know, they haven't publicly professed Christ as their Savior, and that's between them and the Lord. But we keep praying for them, and my sister keeps testifying to them. And um, praise God. You know, the scripture that comes to my mind is out of Genesis 50, 20. It's one of my favorite verses. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use to good for good, to save many alive. And that is my testimony. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Len. 34 years. Some of you may be in the middle of that journey. Don't give up hope. Continue to posture yourself with a spirit of no regrets. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with one another. Sometimes it takes time. Don't ever give up. You have a Lord and Savior who has an active ministry through His Holy Spirit that's working with everyone even when you don't even see it. They can reject. They can defy. They can turn away. They can rebel. They can blasphemy. But the Holy Spirit 
is at work. And when you pray, just as surely, Lynn, as when you prayed through all those years, your sister prayed, God can work. And we need to be mindful that this isn't just our doings, this art of reconciliation. We partner with the one who has the true ministry of reconciliation, and that's the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lynn. What I want us to do then as we sort of finish out here is go back to um, the decisions that are required for you to reassemble a broken relationship. We gave two, we're going to give two more, and then you got your assignment for the next year. We said, first of all, this statement, I will get back to, not get back at. I will determine that my goal isn't to get back at that person, but I'm going to get back to them. Physically, you'd like to have that restored, right? But it begins emotionally, and I'd say before emotionally, it begins spiritually. Your posture is to get back to them and to the health of that relationship, not to get back at them. And so you're going to have to lay down a lot of emotional um, uh, challenges that you're wrestling with maybe in your life. And if I could, I'd like to just park on one of the uh, little favorite sections in Scripture just to remind us of why this get back to, not get back at, is so important uh, for all of us, yes, but most importantly for us as Jesus followers. The most famous verse in the Bible is this verse, right? John 3.16. Let's say it together. Ready? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so that verse is for you and I, and especially if you've never come into relationship with Jesus, that's a great verse for you because that's true. God gave his son, and we celebrate that, uh, that he had that love towards us. But do you know the verse that's right after this most famous verse of John 3.16, and maybe that verse will be up in the Super Bowl somewhere through the goalpost or whatever, is this verse, John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. What's that saying? God didn't send His Son into the world to get back at. To get back at all the sin in the world. I can't believe. I gave them free will. I put them in a beautiful garden and they sinned. And then you have the whole Israelite history of them walking towards God and then sinning and falling into rebellion and, 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 and trauma and violence and that kind of thing. And, and God, there's part of Him that just says, forget it, man. Forget it. But God chose in the fullness of time to not get back at, but to get back to. And He sent His one and only Son to be the sin sacrifice so that you and I could have the provision for the forgiveness of our sins. Because Jesus took all the sins of the world upon Him. He died on a cross. He was raised from the grave. And through that work of Him dying and being raised from the grave, you and I have the opportunity for eternal life and that we would not need to perish. But it's because He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And this posture of God is the foundational reason why you and I need to have that posture towards others, that we would choose not to get back at people, but to get back to them, to have the heart of um, a person who would want to reconcile and be with an individual. I want to encourage us that if you ever grow weary in well-doing as it relates to being able to have that type of um, disposition, 
is that you just go back and study all over again or refresh yourself all over again what God did for you. As we mentioned a week ago or so, you know, freely you've received, freely give. Freely you have received, freely give. So that's the story there in the Gospel of John. And we find this then in 2 Corinthians 5.18. We've given reference to it before as well on this journey. That all this, all this and what comes before there is, uh, you know, we could spend time and park there, but it talks about us being a new creation in Christ and, and all things can become new. All this is from God who reconciled himself to us through Christ and he gave us the assignment then of reconciliation. Now in the English, it says the ministry of reconciliation in the NIV. Well, ministry is sort of like a churchy word. And so we sort of dial into, oh yeah, no, the word here is one of serve, a service of reconciliation or an assignment because, you know, it was written before that whole churchy stuff came around, right? And so here's scripture, here's Paul saying, God who reconciled himself to us through Christ, and then after he did that, he causes us then to move forward the ministry, the service, the assignment of reconciliation with others. And so we take this on, our responsibility to not get back at, but to get back to, and to get back to the service and the assignment of reconciliation. And then it says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I don't know about you, but it's always interesting because uh, when you're in uh, a, a broken relationship or somebody has done something to you and you start to share that story, you usually put yourself in the good light, right? If the other person's the person who's got the problem. The other person is the immature individual. I'm the mature person here. And as the mature person, we sort of slant a story a little bit, you know, to, to call it out, to say, hey, these are the sins that these people did against me. But your heavenly father, that's not what he chose to do through Christ. When he reconciled the world through Christ, he chose not to count, not to talk about, not to gossip, if you will, not to place all the blame, not to get back at the sins of other people. He chose the opposite, to move towards them, to have reconciliation as it is possible. And so, he then commits to us this assignment, this ministry, this service, this message of reconciliation. And Len, you're right as it relates to your father, and our prayers go to your father right now, because the reality is, Is it not true that so much of our brokenness with other people is a direct reflection of our brokenness that we have with the Heavenly Father? And if you can see that through with your eyes in the broken relationships you have, it will be a huge win for you. It'll be a huge win. Some of the antics, some of the words, some of their negative posture is a direct result that they've not had that reconciliation with the Father. And when you are reconciled with God, then you are able to turn around and have that reconciliation with other people. So I will get back to, I will not get back at, that was decision point number one. 
Decision point number two last week, I will own my slice of the blame pie. What it is, and I think that was a beautiful articulation, Lynn, of, of how God the Spirit caught you to say, okay, what, what's, what's on my side? What, what is the plank in my own eye, right? We talked about that last week because we want to you know, take a speck out of the other person's eye, and here's this big plank in our eye, and we need to own our piece of the blame pie so that we can do what? So that we can see more clearly how to get back to rather than to get back at. So that's a very important decision step in this process is that you own the reality uh, before God of what parts. And it could be maybe a little part, maybe it's a huge part. You know, it doesn't matter, but you're sitting before the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, show me how I have fallen short or where uh, I have caused problems in this relationship with this person. And so own it. That's decision step number two. Decision number three is this, and I've sort of given some crumbs for these last two decision points throughout uh, these few weeks, and it's this, I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. Now that's nice to put down in a sentence. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? What do you mean, me? They need to make the first move, right? Well, let's go back. You said you're the mature one. They're the ones that got the problem. So if you're the mature one, then I guess you need to take the first move. Oh, come on. That's not fair. No, it's just true, right? They're not going to make the first move because they got this myopic vision. They maybe got a plank in their own eye, right, kind of thing. They're not going to see clearly. You have been walking before the Lord. You see, oh, yes, I, I need to make the first move in this initiative. Matthew 5.23. I'd like to park here for a bit. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus gives these instructions in the Sermon on the Mount. And there's hard teachings of Jesus. Uh, There's a lot of challenge in some teachings. And man, whoa. This is probably one of the most inconvenient teachings and commands of Jesus. It says, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar. All right, right there, we sort of dial out. I don't have any context for that. Offer a gift at the altar. What, what are you talking about, right? Did you guys bring a gift in today? Do we have an altar here? You're going to bring it? Well, in those days, in the days of Jesus, they did what? For uh, a thank offering, for a sin offering as well. But this seems to be like a gift, so it wasn't necessarily as much for the sin offering. They would make a decision that they would bring a gift to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem wasn't around the corner for everybody. So this journey that um, maybe some parents, and you had to drag the kids along, you're trying to make yourself a long route to go to Jerusalem, and you got this gift, and the gift were sacrifices. So, you know, you might have a a lamb, or maybe you're going to buy a lamb there when you're in the city or whatever. There's this long initiative to uh, bring your gift to the altar and the temple to give a worship to God. And Jesus says... Jesus says, uh, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, 
Now, I don't know about you, but I hate long lines. Cues are not enjoyable for me. And I've got it down to a science to decide who's the fastest and what checkout line, all those kinds of things. You know, that, and, you know, if I go get my gas at Costco, which, you know, which line's the shortest, that kind of thing. Cues are not very enjoyable for me. I just maybe an impatient kind of thing. It's a wasting of my time or something. Can you imagine the number of people at the temple? And you get there, and it's been a hot journey, and you're like, okay, and wow, I, don't, you know, I can't pull up a schedule to to book a time here for this appointment. I'm just going to have to get in the line. And the line could maybe have been a long line. Maybe it'd take a day or two to be able to get to the place, to be able to offer your gift at the altar. All right? So you got that image. That's what he's given them context for. Therefore, if you're all offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother and, or sister has something against you. Now, he doesn't give any particulars here. He doesn't say who's to blame or whatever. But as you're in the queue going to give your gift at the altar, somehow, the, you know, and this is just an is, I'm going to drag up whatever I can. It's like something comes to you through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I have a lot of disappointment in that situation with a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a a neighbor, maybe it's a co-worker or a friend. And you're standing there in line with your gift. And you're mindful of this. It comes to you. Who's to blame? It doesn't you know, articulate it here. And Jesus says this. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. What? Oh, d- did you say grieve? Or you said leave? You, you want me to leave my gift here? Well, I, I, I guess I could leave it here. I don't know. It, it might run away. I, leave your gift. Leave your gift in front of the altar. And then first, first, go and be reconciled to them. Like, you want me to go all the way back? Yeah. Now, normally, those of us, you know, it's easy to compartmentalize her faith, right? It's like, well, this doesn't make any sense, Jesus. I'm already here. I'm, I'm like four people away. What do you mean, leave my gift here? It, really? Yeah, you leave your gift here. And, and go and be, first go be reconciled. We're thinking, I got this, Jesus. Just let me finish out. I'll give the gift, and then I'll go back, and I will. I'll work on that. And he says, no. You go back first before you worship. And you go, wait, wait a second, Jesus. Are you telling me that I need to put others above you? I'm here to worship you for goodness sakes. I'm here to offer up my worship and you're telling me to go back. And he says, no, 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 you're not getting this. When you reconcile with others, you are putting me first. Because worship is not just cognitive, intellectual, inside my mind, forgiveness, and I'm good. It is physical action. You leave your gift, and then you go, and you be reconciled. And when you are reconciled, all right, then come and offer your gift. Because when you deal with others first, you are putting me first. Ooh, 
I don't know, when I came across that and put that thought together as I interact with some people inspiration for this sermon, I'm like, oh, do I have to tell them that, Jesus? Yeah. Those are my words. Those are my words. And so maybe that's just a good point for us. It's like, stop! Don't come in the doors. I know you parked, you walked in. You can't walk through the doors and engage in great worship if the Spirit of God brought something on you that you need to go and deal with. And you're like, come on, I'm already here, right? Well, I just want you to feel, I'm not going to throw a guilt trip on you. I just want you to feel the weight of Jesus' words. The weight of Jesus' words are this is serious. This reconciliation aspect or a life of no regrets and hope of reconciliation. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. It's a decision point. And then the last decision point is this. I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. And Lynn's testimony gives direct reference to that. Right? Oh, a Facebook response. Oh my gosh. Delete. That's not keeping the door open and the welcome mat out. But it was there, right? And so she walked into obedience with that. Now, I, I do want to make mention here that I understand that some of the broken relationships, there is, uh, there is physical harm or even emotional harm that can happen in trying to, I want to take those kinds of situations to the side, all right? Because that's serious stuff. All right? And there's good smarts, if you will, with that even before God. But the majority of the broken the relationships, right? It's, it's these one-offs and things, and it's going to happen. Maybe it hasn't happened to you recently. Good luck. It's probably going to happen in the next couple of weeks. Somebody's going to get offended. There's going to be some type of issue that rubs somebody wrong. There's going to be brokenness in it. Well, as you walk through these decision points, you need to know that your posture, right? Your posture of reconciliation is to have the door open and the welcome mat out. Because you want to get back to, not get back at, right? I want to um, just encourage us with this, that, you know, it's not easy, as I've mentioned. And sometimes it's going to take a little bit of work. I um, came across this story, I don't know if any of you are from Ireland area, but in the 15th century, in Dublin, there were two clans that were locked in a bitter conflict with one another. It's a true story. There were the Ormonds and the Kildares. And I don't fully know what happened, but there was a lot of conflict. There was violent killing between these two clans. And there came a point when the leaders of the Ormond clan had locked themselves in the chapter, um, uh, in the chapter house uh, in um, St. Patrick's Cathedral. And they were locked away, and they were holding themselves back, and the Kildars were outside, swords drawn, and they were ready to attack. And behind this big oak door to that huge room was this other clan in fear. And they kept yelling for them to come out, different kinds of things. And so uh, it was like at a standstill. And then something amazing happened. The Earl of Kildare, he came to himself and he said, you know, this is foolish. Here are two families in conflict with one another and we believe in the same God. And we're just acting foolishly. 
And so he walked up to the cathedral. He approached the great oak door of the chapter house, and he shouted, let's call this off. Let us shake hands. But there was no answer on the other side. And so what he did next has gone down in Irish history. He drew his sword, he took it, and he stabbed it into the oak door. And he began to try to cut into this really thick oak door. And he started to cut a hole through this oak door. And you can imagine what they're thinking on the other side. Oh my gosh, they're coming after us. What are they going to do? And when the hole was big enough for his hand and his arm, he stuck it through the hole. Now there's swords on the other side. What do you think is going to happen? Well, get back at you, betcha. Well, the Earl of the Ordmont tribe he stuck his hand out and he grabbed it and they shook hands. They shook hands. They did not raise the sword. And as that hand was grasped and they shook it, the door was flung open and they were friends again. That welcome mat open, it's just whatever it takes. And sometimes it takes a lot to bore through a door. Take the initiative. No matter who started the fuss, you go first. You leave them out, welcome that out. You see what God can do. You take these four initiatives. I will get back to, not get back at. I will own my slice of the blame pie. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first and I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. You take those and you posture yourself in an art of reconciliation. Not as your goal. Hope and dream. Life of no regrets. Take it on humility of what you contributed to. You take the first move. Multiple first moves you heard Lynn take today. And then you keep the welcome mat out. And sometimes it may be hard. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I want to spend a little bit of time as they come and get set for us to close out with a song to talk to sort of a subset of people who may be here today. These are great commands for us who are Jesus followers, who have been reconciled to God through the work of Christ. But that passage that we talked about, about being reconciled to God and having the ministry of reconciliation, it goes on and it says this, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And if you're here this morning or maybe you're watching online and you've never been reconciled to God and you know there's something that stands between you and God's sin, you can't clean your act up to get right with God. You just can't. That's why Jesus came. He bore. Not a hole through an oak door, but He bore your sins on a cross. And when he died for your sins, he paid the penalty for your sins, past, present, and future. 
And that gift of the forgiveness of your sins to be reconciled with God stands before you. He keeps the welcome mat open, I mean the door open and the welcome mat out every single day of your life. And maybe you're fearful that I need to clean myself up or get my act together before I come to God. I'm even embarrassed I'm in church today. Maybe you're watching online because somebody is watching and they said, hey, sit down and watch. And I, I just want to let you know that before being reconciled to others becomes a passionate goal, I implore you to be reconciled to God through Christ. The way has been paved. It's been provided, but you have to receive the gift of salvation and forgiveness from him. It goes on and says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You see, he bore our sins. He was the righteous one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And when you make a decision to repent of your sin, to turn from your indifference to God, double-mindedness, whatever it is, active rebellion, and you repent and you say, you know, I don't know a lot about this, but I believe there is a God and I have just enough faith to believe in Jesus Christ, that he was the son of God and what he did on the cross was for me. And you turn to him and you invite Jesus into your life. The one who bore your sin on the cross comes into your life and you become righteous, not because of what you've done, but because of who he is. He is the righteous one. And if you go another verse or so past this, in 2 Corinthians 6-2, same context. The Apostle Paul says, I tell you, now, now is the time of God's favor. Now, now is the day of salvation. So I implore you as we close this series out, be reconciled to God. Worship team's going to sing a song that we listened to a couple weeks ago. God's reckless love and how he pursues you. But before they sing, I want to give you the opportunity to be reconciled so that when we sing, it's truly a declaration of what he has done, not what you hope for. Will you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, across this room and those who are maybe watching online today, your spirit has spoken and you have taken the initiative to draw near to someone and you've let them know that you love them. That, Jesus, you came into the world not to condemn people, but to save people. But that moment of salvation, today is the time. Today is the day of salvation because that's what you do. You reconcile us back to you. And Lord, those of us who are followers in this room, we leverage and we celebrate that reconciled relationship every time we pray. Lord, I'm able to pray here today connected to you because of what you did in reconciling with me. And so we leverage that and we celebrate it and we come before your throne to pray for those who are not reconciled today. And if you're one of those who has yet to cross the line of faith to make a commitment to be a Jesus follower, then I invite you if you're at a place to do that, to pray this simple prayer right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth, for living a righteous life, 
for then being obedient to die on a cross, being the bearer of my sin. And I believe that you died and I believe that you rose again from the grave. And sent your spirit, and that's your spirit that's speaking to me right now. But I repent, I believe, and I receive you now into my life. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. And from this day forward, as you enable me, I will walk with you, knowing that I have been reconciled to you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone across this room that would just raise your hand and say, that's my prayer. I pray that this morning, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I implore you, be reconciled to God. Lord, for all the hearts and those maybe who are online, may you seal the commitment that you have led them to And if it's not for the salvation today, Lord, maybe it's a step to make that first step first, to leave the gift at the altar and to go and be reconciled as far as it depends on them. Lord, may you give us your strength and your power because you are the one who took that initiative. It was your reckless love that was shown on that cross to come towards us, to not just engage us, but to reconcile with us. And so, Lord, here this morning, we pray for those commitments and those convictions and those steps of obedience. We seal that before you and dear yourself to the heart of those individuals. And Lord, we want to worship you in the beauty of your reckless love. And God's people said, amen. So I'm gonna invite you in your seat backs as a connect card. If you made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ today, you mark that. We want to follow up and be encouragement to you. Maybe you have spiritual questions and you want to grow spiritually or something. Mark that. We want to follow up with you. Maybe you want to get into community to learn how to have reconciled relationships. Mark that. I'm going to ask the ushers to take their place, but we're going to stand and we're going to celebrate the reckless love of God. And this is not just a song. This is truth and reality that's poured out upon you a part of this congregation at home today. May you give of your tithes and your offerings, turn those connect cards in, your praises, responses, but I want to invite you to stand right now and let's worship with the team as we declare praise to him for what he has done and is doing towards us. to me oh 
climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, going after me. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. that you have received the gift of reconciliation. May I impart to you an empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be ministers and servants on your assignment of reconciliation this week. Take a moment, greet those on your way out. I'd be glad to greet you at the front door, especially if I haven't met you yet. Greeters, you got a lunch right after service at the end of the hallway, but go and be blessed as you have been reconciled in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his reckless love. Amen.